Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined today by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. How are you this morning? Steve, I am doing well. I've been able to do a little fishing as of late, so old Aaron mm-hmm. here is feeling a little sassy. And not to mention the fact that, you know, we have uh, one of the all-time great personalities of the sport, Mark Zona is going to be joining us, and then uh, on deck after that will be Mark Jones of the Oakley Big Bass Tour. And not to mention, we have numerous listener questions uh, to address during this episode. Well, we got a good show, so uh, let's proceed. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. But... Oh, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Well, man, Aaron, what a difference a month makes. I mean, around here, we, we seem to have gone from those... Spring patterns out to the deeper water on the structure in absolutely no time. And and I know you've been out doing a little fishing and understand that, that that's where you're out, out there in the deeper water. Absolutely. And it seems to be getting deeper with all the rainfall that we have, but uh, that's okay because what goes up must come down. But I have been uh, really just focusing in and targeting post-spawn fish out on those tree rows and uh, getting ready for them to move a little bit deeper as that water temperature climbs. And won't be too long. I'm going to be sitting over top of them vertical fishing here in the next few few weeks. But I understand you've been out uh, doing a little bit of fishing yourself. Oh, you know me, the river rat. I've been out rowing some rivers. And, uh, you know, I got I fished down on the buffalo in Arkansas before we got all this rain, and it was really low water. And uh, the fish were really spooky. And I tell you, it just it came down to uh, some very, very finesse type uh to type fishing and baits uh, small baits and a small line but uh we did manage to catch uh, some nice little small mouse and then uh slipped away and little did a little trout fishing while i was down there so uh so uh you know i'm feeling i'm feeling good about it and, and anxious to go again i understand that uh, uh you and i are slated to get out in the water again this week and of course i'm looking forward to that you know it's Certainly one of the true thrills of my job to get to fish with the host of Bass Edge Television. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what you share with Kathy every night before your head hits the pillow. But no, I, I do have I have some a uh, couple new spots to show you, and more more so than spots is just mainly kind of the techniques and and what they're related to. So it'll be a good time regardless. Well, good. I hope we get get some good weather, and that's going to be fun. But. Uh, Man, we had so many questions this month from from listeners, and I, I thought we'd try to answer as as many as we can get to. So, uh, so let's 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 get to a few of those. And our first question is from Andrew in Michigan, and Andrew doesn't want to know much, Aaron. He just wants to know how does the moon affect bass throughout the year, and after the spawn, where do bass move, and how do they transition into their summer pattern? Well, I think uh, I think that's the million dollar question. And I know a lot of stuff there, isn't there? Boy, there is. That's kind of like asking, uh, you know, how do I win a tournament? But no, I, I think it's certainly doable, Andrew. I I am a you know a big believer that the moon 
no question has impact uh, on the fish's behavior and, and what those are doing. Matter of fact, just the other day when I was out, Steve, I, I always like to look at, you know, if we're in a waxing moon mm-hmm. or a waning moon, when the moon sets. And um, we were, the, the moon actually did not set that particular day until like 9.30, 9.45, somewhere in there of that morning. And, you know, as soon as that moon That's set, is. that is when they went into mm-hmm. it. And you and I have talked a lot, too, as far as its uh, role with the spawn being a timing mechanism, you know, illumination so that they can uh, fight off and defend the nest. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, tidal situations. I mean, obviously, we know that that uh, has a tremendous impact impact on what the tides are doing if you're fishing tidal water. So I think to answer his question, absolutely it impacts it. More importantly right now to direct what's going on uh, right now, I think that the the bass are are pulling out. If you're in a post-spawn situation, they're staging at that first piece of structure adjacent to that deeper water, trying to recover. Uh, Once they start feeling good, they're going to go on a feeding binge and get ready to move out to those summer haunts. Boy, that's that's good stuff. I will just throw in on the moon. You know, I, I think the the moon you can use that as a uh, as a crutch, if you will. You know, it's not the right uh, things. Things aren't totally right, and and, and feel negative about that. But you just always got to remember the the moon and the moon phases. It is a factor, and it does affect fish, but it's one of many, many, many. It should just be taken uh, in that context. Uh, but uh, absolutely, that's a great point. And I tell you what, I I don't know. You know, I you know I've talked to a lot of biologists about this through my through my years as an outdoor writer, and I'm not sure we totally understand all the impacts on on bait and and just uh, the moon is a timing mechanism for for fish. So uh, uh, there's a lot going on there. Pay attention to it. You can be like Aaron and keep a log and learn that way. But uh, uh, but uh, the moon is definitely. Uh, has a big effect. I've been trying to figure that out for a few years now. I still, <laughs> yeah. That's why I let you answer that question. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I always remember, I mean, I'll never forget when I was down at the FLW Championship with Jack Wade, he pulled out a piece of paper and he had written down the major and the minor of the feed and he wanted to be at his spots, you know. So kind of my thing is part by trial and error. Uh, if somebody like Jack Wade is going to do it, I'm at least going to be aware of what those times are. But like you said, don't fall back on it and use it as an excuse because it is one of many uh, that's true and uh uh and yeah i'm looking forward to uh you showing me about these transition patterns in the summer too i know you're catching some fish i'm anxious to do that but let's not get off on that too far because we've got more questions and our next question is from michael in north carolina and i knew this one would be perfect for you and michael simply wants to know what are the best polarized glasses on the market for fishermen I like how you you know you make this assessment that all these are perfect for me, <laughs> and I, I I'm just glad that this is the last one that I have to answer. We've got all of the other anglers that uh, get to chime in on this, but no, a very very important question, Michael, uh, because as we know, you know your eyes are very important when it comes to to fishing. Um, I think glasses, you know, in general, there's a lot of different makes models, but there's some important factors that you have to consider. You know, first, polar they have to be polarized. Uh, you can't just throw on any type of 
pair of, of sunglasses and expect those to work. But, you know, essentially that is going to, the polarization is going to work by filtering out the light um, that is coming off in one direction. Look for lenses that meet or exceed the American National Standards Institute clarity testing requirements. That is a big, big factor because not all polarized lenses are created equal. And uh, you want to look for that certification. There's reason being there is because it's going to reduce eye fatigue. It's going to help you see better in the water, which is ultimately what you need to do. Also, uh, not to get too technical here, but there is a term called polymer infusion. And that is essentially how the polarization is applied to the lens itself. That polymer infusion is much better than a sandwich or a gluing of the polarized film between the two lenses because it can't be rubbed off or worn worn off um, as time goes on. So keep that in mind. Also, um, the, the final factor that I would look at is impact resistance. And this is a big deal because when you're driving, you know, your boat uh, down the lake at, at high speeds, you know, you have something fly into you, a uh, bug or, or whatever, you know, that hits you, or not even to mention, you know, you're jerking on a Texas rig worm and a big sinker comes back. I've had that happen actually twice in my lifetime. You don't want that lens shattering and and destroying your eyes. So I think those three things you want to make sure and look at. And as far as brands, you know, I'm not going to steer you in one direction. I think if you look at that criteria, that's going to help you ultimately make your decision once you try them on and see and make sure that they come all the way around the side of your eyes so that you're not getting that sun glare. Um, But there's a lot of companies out there, Wiley X, Oakley, Maui Jim, Smith, you know, but do your research, and I think you'll find that there is definitely a vast difference when it comes to polarized lenses. Well, dead gum, now you've got me educated, and I'm confused if I got the right glasses or not. <laughs> so, listen, you know, you, you, when you buy things like this, there's a lot of great products out there, and, and eyewear products is really one of the places that, uh, in the industry, there's some, there are some excellent products out there, obviously, but, uh, but you know, for me personally, I've... Uh, uh, I got the brand. I wear the brand that supposedly, if you sit on it, you won't tear it. Well, you won't crush them. And I sit on so many sunglasses, so that's a big <laughs> for me. <laughs> and uh, I figure, I tell you what, if they they if I sit on these glasses and they survive, they ought to use that as a field test on on advertising. <laughs> but you're not going to get uh, put much more strain on a pair of sunglasses. But uh, but uh, now we appreciate your uh, looking into that, that for us, Aaron. And uh, we're going to have. We got a lot more questions, and we're going to come back to some. But uh, now let's take uh, take time to hear that that great interview you did with Mark Zona, and we'll be right back here on the Edge. When people ask me why I have so much tackle, I don't bother trying to explain. They never get it. It's the kind of thing that's all about being there. It's the feeling that I'm alive right now when I hook the next bass. Lose touch with that, and I lose part of myself. Yeah, it's hard to explain, but all of us at Bass Edge want you to know that it's okay. The go-to tackle storage system will never ask for an explanation. Who needs one when I have fast, easy access to my lures? It keeps my baits organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in just minutes under any deck lid, making the most of the storage space of my boat. One look at the GoTo Tackle System, and you know it has no time for silly questions. Load me up, it says. Let's get out there and make some memories. Get organized with the Bass Edge GoTo Tackle System by logging on to BassEdge.com.
welcome back as we have Bassmaster Commentator and the host of the world's greatest fishing show, Mr. Mark Zona. Mark, how in the world are you doing, my friend? Oh, just running running around trying to eventually find home, Aaron. <laughs> uh, it's been a uh it's it's been a very, very, very busy and strange spring to say the least, so well, you know, the kind of the way that uh Bassmaster has their schedule this year, it seems like, man, you have just been probably at the steering wheel or sitting behind uh, the back seat of somebody else uh, on an airplane. You know, I I'll 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 be honest with you. I, I we we you know, we we tape the Bassmaster Elite series in Little Rock and I uh, I get to to come home when we're not, you know, for the for the couple days that, you know, to cherish with your family and stuff like that. Uh I always say I, I, I live in Little Rock. I visit my house in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's your lake house and, or your summer home. Right. Sometimes you're home, right. sometimes you're not. Pretty, pretty much, I, I'm, you know, it's interesting. I, I, we've always made a joke. I'm married to Tommy Sanders for five months of the year, and then I get to actually come home to my wife. So. <laughs> there you uh, go. It, it, uh, it, it, but it's a, it's a great blessing. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a blessing to have that because, you know, covering the Elite Series, you know, and I'm going to say this selfishly. Um, you know, I'm an addict. I'm an addict, like you are, like your like your listeners are, and your viewers are. That that as many events as we cover, I cannot get enough of it. And I say that selfishly because I'm so. You know, I've done this since I was a kid, and 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 you know, it's a a cliche to hear. You you can never stop learning, but there's. Um, there's a lot of truth in that. You 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 learn so much being around the the Van Dams and the Skeet Reeses that uh, it, it's so amazing to to watch how good these guys are. And and Aaron, this is no joke. I, I still get I still get a lot of people that ask me, well, what you know when you know ten years, twenty years down the line, you know, you think you're gonna start fishing tournaments again and, and maybe go fish the elite series. And here's what I can tell you for sure. Now that have I, that I've been in Kevin's boat during competition, I mean, we, I've been fortunate enough to, to grow up fishing with him, but the competition side, you know, the elite series side uh, of, of the Van Dams and the ski Reese's bud, here's what I could tell you. I don't want any part of those. <laughs> and let me, let me put it this way. If the other group of guys that fish that had some time to get in their boat on game day, they may rethink their decision. <laughs> <laughs> we might not have a uh, full field. Is that what you're saying? We may have a field of four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but it, 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 it's the truth. They're, they're, they're that far beyond the, the I, I, you know, and granted, there's so many great anglers. I mean, not even great anglers. I mean, world class. But there is an... There is a echelon in the elite series right now that, uh, boy, there's about three of them that I, 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 words can't describe things that I've been able to see the last six years. I'm fortunate to have been able to see it and somehow take it back up here to Michigan and apply it to my goofy little world I live in. So, Well, and the funny thing is, Mark, you know, our last guest um, on the last episode, rather, was Skeet Reese. And, you know, Skeet made the comment there towards the end and very emphatically said, you know, if you ever say that you know everything there is to know, 
he said, that's a crock. He said, because I continue to learn every day. And that's what is so amazing is even at the, how they're able to break down, you know, spend a day and a half on a body of water and then go consistently put together 20 pounds. Um, That's pretty neat. So, you know, do you think we'll see any late season drama kind of with the angler of the year race that's going on? No. No, no. <laughs> I, it's my it's it's our job to manufacture. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Come on, no. You know what's the it it, it uh, uh, we were <laughs> we were doing a uh, uh, oh some anglers are I'm not even going to throw out the names, but we were we were doing a little segment for the elite series that hey this is not over. Um, and, and Sanders looked looked at me when we were off air, and I rolled my eyes. <laughs> <So. laughs> you you got to kind of cross your fingers behind your back when you say that, right? Well, you know what's weird is is, is you want you want that you want that drama at at, at the postseason and, and going into the last few tournaments. But I hate to say this, uh, a lot of it is manufactured drama. I mean, the guy Skeet's just done too. He's done too well. And yeah, you know, he had a little slip up. He had a little slip up here at this last tournament at Clark's Hill, but I think he'll pick up the pieces just fine, you know, in the next few weeks. So, I mean, you know, what's interesting is in some way, shape or form, I hope he blows this thing out by the time we get to the postseason, because it would be such a statement of the year he's had. I, I don't think it should be close. Uh, I, I really don't think it should be. He's done that. You know, he's done a heck of a job, Aaron, and, and he's really touched ground that that rare, you rarely see in this sport. So. And, and and the the neat thing is that he's having you know the time of his life and actually having fun. You know, most people it could put you into a you know just a stressful <laughs> and and not that he's not stressed. Don't get me wrong, but you can just tell at least when I spoke with him. I mean, he's having the time of his life and he seems to just be relaxed. Here's the interesting thing about about Skeet. In in my line of work, um, he is, and I've told him this, so I don't mind saying it on the show, he's the hardest angler in the entire field to cover. And what I mean by that is is he has a very, uh, an attitude of completely just winging it, just winging it. Um, he, He... his practices do not, and I've been with him in practice, so I understand what, you know, when he goes into a lot of events, you, you see clippings and articles before the event begins where he says, oh, I had a terrible practice, I had a terrible practice. Well, the, re- the reason why he says that is he, he just doesn't pound an area very hard that he plans on being in during the tournament. You always hear you want the tournament, a, a, a good tournament to transpire during the event, not during practice. Uh, and that's what makes him very elusive to get a gauge on before an event. And he's been like that for the better side of five seasons, five seasons now because you don't know what he's on going. I can tell you right now when Kevin Van Dam is going to have a good tournament, he gives me that nod. Iconelli gives me the nod. Hackney, same thing. I don't get any nods from Skeet. Hmm. Um, and he has a very – Six sense about going off of conditions the morning of an event, which is what we should all do as anglers, but it's the hardest thing in fishing to do is look at the conditions that are in front of you and fish the conditions that are coming. And, and that's so hard because we go off of, well, you know, let me go run here because I caught him here yesterday. Uh, he, he doesn't mind 
rolling the dice on the table and saying, you know what, heck with it. I'm just going to go off of these conditions and call an audible. And he does that. He does that very often. And that's the hardest thing to do as a bass fisherman. And that's what makes him so good. Boy, that is for sure. I mean, it's like, you know, the sirens pulling us back to the old patterns and the old ways of of how we caught them in the past and the baits that we use. That's human nature. That's human nature to to say, well, you know, I got me three or four bites over here off this point in this grass bed. Uh, your 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 tendency says, well, let me just go run back there real quick, and he won't do it. I mean, if it if conditions do not dictate that that that's what Skeet Reese needs to do, he will not do it. Um, and that's that's what makes him now now now. Here's the interesting thing about that. There's a fine fine line between that success and that failure of of, of fishing like that because it has it's it, it's bit him before you know he was really the year that Aaron Martin's won on Table Rock earlier in that season and I think Marty Stone was second just to uh, gauge the year I, I want to say it was five years but long story short uh, Skeet was really in the in the running to win Angler of the Year that season. Uh, but rolled the dice just like I said, and and it bit him. It bit him real hard. So there's a fine line of of, of dominance and and absolute, uh, you know, taking taking the truck in the ditch. Absolutely. You know, sometimes uh, the home run hitters have a tendency to strike out on occasion. But uh, you know, so far we've got to say it is absolutely paying off uh, for Skeet. It's right amazing. Now. So. It's amazing, and I can tell you, uh, I, 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 I made the quote, I don't know where, where I said it, I've seen things in his boat this year that, you know, you, every one of the people that, that listen to your show and, and watch your shows, they are hardcores. They're not part-time bass fishermen, and I can tell those folks that I have seen things in Skeet Reese's boat this year where we both looked at each other and said, come on, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on. You lob your, you lob your swim bait at a five and three quarter pound fish swimming right next to your boat and he eats it and hits the side of your boat and you still land it. Come on. <laughs> so those are the those are the interesting things that I've been able to see this year. So. Well well speaking of interesting, you know, here we are in June two thousand ten and I, I know this question that I'm about to ask, but have you had much time to, to actually get out on the water, you know, recently and, and, and what a line? Yeah, I actually I'm I'm sitting in my boat right now. I'm 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 getting you know getting ready to go out a little bit, but I I've actually fished this spring probably more than anybody inside the house right now wants me to have fished, but <laughs> you know I, that, that's kind of my it, it's it's my release to get to 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 just separate myself from from the the the, the you know the smoke and mirror TV world that that you know we live in and stuff like that, but I've uh, I I have I have snuck up what we do is we call them power runs where we, you know, drive to Traverse city, Michigan at three in the morning. We get there at seven and fish till three and then come right back home. But, uh, it's been a weird spring. And what I mean by that is the, the, the weather has, you know, whether it's here or, or all the way down to the Southeast, um, you know, it got, it got warm real fast and a lot of fish came up and spawned. A big wave of fish came up and spawned on a lot of the lakes throughout the country. And then it dropped to, to 45 degrees again and we went back to you know we went back to early spring conditions and that's what's been weird about this year but it's amazing because you know i i have a tendency to this time of year in michigan is such a it's it, 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 words can't describe how how 
great the fishing is. And I mean, I, I selfishly say that's why I live in this state, but it is because this time of year when, when it starts to get a little bit tougher in the, you know, the central U.S. and the, and the southeastern U.S., that's when the fishing up here is, is absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, you're talking about legitimately, and you hear this number thrown out a lot, but you're talking about 100 fish days uh, averaged on a lot of the Michigan, you know, wow. New York. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, I have a tendency to stay away from St. Clair this year, this time of year, just because I don't like traffic, and there's a lot of road traffic and boat traffic. My 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 tendency is to just keep going north. So that's uh, it, it's it's unbelievable what you know when you describe to somebody how good the fishing is up here. Uh, it, it it doesn't even do it justice, Aaron. It it's so incredible for the next three weeks. But then it gets then it gets like the rest of the country. Uh, you know, where it gets into that summertime, you know, pr- predominantly, you know, when the fish start moving out, it gets a lot tougher. Well, the, you know, the interesting thing is obviously we start way back in January talking about, you know, what's happening in the south and then work our way north. But uh, help us understand what stage are we talking about that the fish are in right now? You know, because a lot of us are, are used to, you know, we're talking well, post-spawn or summer pattern. You know, talking, you know, right now I'm solely chasing smallmouth and, and, the shallower lakes in Michigan and New York and stuff like that, the shallower lakes, it's the same thing as it is with a largemouth down south. The shallower lakes is going to warm up faster, and they're going to spawn. And that's where they're at right here. But there's a lot of lakes throughout, you know, from here all the way to Champlain that are deeper lakes. And what I mean by deeper, you're talking lakes that are 150 to 300, 400 feet, feet deep. You know, whether it's Lake Michigan or Superior, you know, when you get onto the Great Lakes. And heck, those fish, you know, I was, I, I stopped by a, a, a mouth of Lake Huron last week and the water temp was 41 degrees. Wow. So, so those, those fish literally, I mean, I remember, I remember growing up and fishing tournaments at Thousand Islands and, and, and doing very well, you know, top five finishes, catching spawners, uh, the second to third week of July. So it's really, what you do is you look at what the deepest lakes are, whether it's Ontario, Lake Huron, and those fish right now, Aaron, those, those fish are complete, absolute pre-spawn stages, while some of the inland lakes that surround those are in a full-blown spawn situation right now. I got you. So I, I know this is going to leave a broad answer here, but is there a direction that if we are heading to the North Country right now that you would tell us to really make sure that, you know, we're focusing on and, and spending some time kind of picking apart? Yeah, you know, what's, what's interesting is, is this time of year, and, and this is something, you know, not, to, not to throw his name out there again, this is something growing up with Kevin. If you're to take a ruler, <laughs> I know this is going to sound weird, if you're to take a ruler, um, <laughs> this is a weird thing, but put it on a map from west to east and put it on the middle of Michigan all the way straight to Vermont, okay? okay. I know that sounds weird, but that parallel from the middle of Michigan to Vermont and north, from the middle of Michigan all the way straight to the east coast and north, that's where you want to be right now for the next Wow. 30 days. And what that is, it's a certain parallel on the map that from Memorial Day on, 
for the next three to four weeks, it's the most incredible fishing of the entire year. And it's something we kind of lived by since we were in our, our early 20s. Um, and really, I, I know this is going to sound very broad, but most lakes from Wisconsin all the way to Vermont, if you cut Michigan in half and just work north, uh, that's, there's where you need to be. And I know that's a very broad spectrum of lakes, but those are the lakes right now that are at the peak of their fishing uh, basically until the 4th of July. So are you predominantly um, targeting pre-spawn staging areas as well as bedding areas? Uh, do they have- yeah, yeah just, because they're, just because they're both very close. You know, the, the pre-spawn areas with a smallmouth are very, 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 very close to where, you know, they're going to they're gonna do their business. Um, it, 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 uh, I remember doing a, the day on the lake a few years back, and we were on a lake in, in, in Traverse City, Michigan. And I think I caught, I'm going to say, 40-something keepers that day and had, I don't know, 18 or 19 pounds of smallmouth, and I caught both. And what I mean by that is, I fished two lakes in northern Michigan. One was very, very, very shallow. The fish were spawning, okay? And it was the third week of June still. I caught a lot of fish that were spawning. (laughs) And I went, and this is no joke, the water temp was 65 degrees. Perfect, right? I went through a little canal into another lake that got down to 250 feet of water, I think my graph said. Wow. And those fish, and and you're looking at water temps that were, and, and mind you, this is only, each lake was only a quarter mile away from each other, but the water temp in that lake was 54 degrees, and the fish were in a complete pre-spawn deal. So, you know, that's the interesting thing is you need to gauge what the basin is of a smallmouth lake right now because that will tell you what one's going to be warmer and what one's going to be colder in a pre-spawn situation. Well, and it leads me right into my next question, you know, being from the part of the country where there are so many natural lakes, do right. anglers need to approach you know these type of lakes differently than let's say the the man-made reservoirs? Yeah, you need you know what's what's this is what's interesting about the the natural lakes in the north. They re, a lot of them remind me of of fishing in the Keys. They're very 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 visual. You don't need to, this time of year, you do not need to be fishing, number one, deeper than 10 to 12 feet of water. And the predominant amount of these lakes, you can see down 10 to 12 feet of water. Um, but, you know, the, 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 it's like you said, there's so many of these lakes. That's what, what I always, you know, growing up and fishing the, the hundreds and hundreds of, of natural lakes throughout Michigan, Minnesota, and New York, it's almost a trial and error. But it's, it's all, at the same time, it's an adventure because the lakes are not overwhelming in size to where you can cut three lakes down. And, you know, if you take a vacation right now, you can, you can fish three lakes a day, uh, you know, fish one for three hours, one for three hours, one for three hours, and, and, and learn so much. And it almost turns into an adventure to finding that, that premium, optimum lake because uh, they're, they're, they're so similar in, in ways, but yet... They're so different, but the major thing you're using on every one of these lakes, especially the lakes that, I'm, that I've been to the last two weeks and that I'm going to in the next two weeks, you're using your eyes. You know, you are truly so similar to, to saltwater fishing for, for redfish and stuff like that. It, uh, you know, growing up and fishing with the guys I have here in Michigan, we, we, we all we do, I know this is going to sound very basic and simple, we idle 
with one guy on the front of the boat and one guy driving, we idle until we find them. And that is no joke how 90% of our fishing's done. Well, and, and the encouraging thing about that is, Mark, you know, when you and I grew up and got introduced to the sport, um, that's really what it's about. You know, it's about wetting a line. It's about getting out and just having fun and experiencing the outdoors and, and seeing that visual aspect, I think, adds a whole right. new element to the experience. Well, I've always said, you know, there's everybody that everybody that, that listens to your show and watches fishing shows. To me, you can, every one of us can remember, if you close your eyes right now, you can remember that first bass you caught, that first good bass you caught. You could remember the cast. You could remember what lure you were using. You could remember the feel or the vision that, that you saw right there. And what's interesting to me is I know it's a lot of why I fish, and I don't want to get all, I don't want to go all spiritual on you, but in some way, shape, or form, we are all trying to recreate that feeling uh, of our youth in fishing because, that, I mean, that's why we do it. We want to recreate that certain feeling. Uh, and there, to me, there is no... There's nothing in the world that compares to that. There's nothing. And, and to watch that now with my children and, and see how they get, you know, we went smallmouth fishing last week, and, and my, one of my boys caught a, caught a five-and-a-half-pound smallmouth. And, and to wow. see, you know, and he watched it bite his lure. You know, he watched it swim up and bite it. And, and uh, I, 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 it's somewhere in the back of my head I said, yep, he's hooked. Got him. <laughs> you know? and, and you wish, you know, you know what's interesting is you wish, uh, you wish more people could see that because, uh, I don't know, it'd make a world a better better place to me. Well, absolutely, and certainly appreciate, you know, you're such an ambassador for the sport and um, and really just shed a different light on it, and and we certainly appreciate that. And speaking of, of that, I want to get uh, some comments. We've got a couple listener questions here. If, if you've got time, I'd like uh, to mm-hmm. get your input on. And the first one absolutely. actually comes from Jason in the state of Kentucky. And uh, Jason wants to know, or states, I should say, he was on Kentucky Lake last Friday and Sunday. Um, they caught numerous largemouth and smallmouth, but Sunday the numbers obviously were a lot less. Only two keepers on Friday and none on Sunday. The pattern was pretty much the same on both days except overcast Friday and sunny on Sunday. His question is, where were all the bigger fish? Lots of 14 inches, but only two over 15. I don't understand. Well, I, guess, I guess the number one question, how many was he catching today? Uh, he had wrote in his email, he had like 200 bass, I think, over the course of, of those I don't know. Days. My answer to that is don't change what you're doing. In all honesty, that, that's an interesting question because I, I, did, I did hear you know, that he caught smallmouth, which tells me that he's not fishing on the bank, completely on the bank. And what I always say is if you're catching numbers, uh, I live by really – there's three, there's three variables in what you just said. If you're catching that many numbers, which is still a, a heck of a, you're still having a heck of a day. Absolutely. I mean, you're punching holes every minute, man. But the, what ends up happening, whether, you know, like when I, in the elite series and stuff like that, I always say that you need to go to one extreme or the other. If you're just getting bite after bite, after bite, after bite, after bite, what I always say you need to either do in a situation, number one, you're probably dealing with Kentucky Lake that they got the plug pulled on and they're pulling water on it, you know, out of it with all the floods. So you've got definitely got moving water in that case, one extreme or the other ultra, ultra shallow. And I mean, I'm talking 
one inch to 10 inches of water, or I'm saying go way deeper than you are fishing. If you're, if you're catching those 200 bass in, I'm guessing he's catching them in 8 to about 15 to 17 feet of water, you need to start at 17 feet of water and fish out to 24 or 26 feet of water. And the thing is, you're going to get frustrated because you're not going to be getting those repetitive bites that, you know, that was keeping you excited because you're saying to yourself, man, I'm, I know I'm getting so many bites. I'm going to catch a big one. I'm going to catch a big one. Well, no, you're not. Obviously, if you've gone four hours and caught 40-something bass and you've got one 15-incher, uh, odds are telling you it's, a wave of five-pounders is not moving towards you. Um, and I always say go to one extreme or the other. Go very, very, very shallow go much deeper. You're going to forego catching 100 bass in a day. You may only catch eight, but I guarantee you your, your ratio of keepers will go up. The only other thing I would say, Aaron, and this comes from the experience of, of shooting worlds, is you know I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in the boat with some pretty good bass fishermen. And, and, and you've had, you know, taping bass edge, you've had the same situation where you're, but you're fighting to keep your chin up. At We've both gone through this. And what I always said was you can only catch so many three to four pounders on a show because then it becomes, you know, it becomes redundant. How many do you need? Right. And what I've always done in worlds, uh, 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 case in point is whether we're on show Canyon or Falcon or even taping up here with smallmouth at times, I always say the other extreme is, if I'm in the boat with a Van Dam or a Skeet Reese or a Greg Hackney or a Mike Iconelli, you need to go so much bigger than what they're throwing. And I'm going to forego, I'm going to forego those repetitive three to four. Those guys are programmed to catch four, about four to five pound bass. That's what they're, they're programmed to do in the Elite Series. And you know this as well as I do when you're taping your fishing show. They're still programmed in their head to do the same thing. How they fit. Absolutely. But... You, what I, you know, to, I guess in a roundabout way, the other extreme is throw something that is so darn big. Uh, you're going to forego a lot of bites, but trust me, when you do get to, when you connect with that pitch, you're going to catch a, uh, uh, you're going to catch a big one. And that's the only other thing, uh, whatever he was throwing on Kentucky Lake, use something a, a, a lot bigger. Well, I think that's great advice, Jason. Uh, you know, perhaps first off, maybe go out to the original shoreline and secondly, go big. And uh, I, I think he's going to put bigger fish in the boat. Well, question number two comes from Garrett in the state of Washington. He is currently a sophomore in high school and wants to become a better angler. He watches Bass Edge and has seen Dr. McNamara on the show. Wondering what opportunities there are to have a job fishing or in the fishing industry. He desires to be a great angler like his uncle. You know, the, 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 I guess the, the, the first question I'll answer of that is, is, uh, is, is how to become, how to become a, a great bass angler. That's a, that's a very, Aaron, I think you'd agree, that's a very complex question. Yes, yes. Um, it, but, you know, the one thing I always say is there's, there's so much information out there right now you can also get information overload. You know, um, back when back when I started fishing, I, I think I was I know, five or six years old. And when I started fishing tournaments, I was nine years old, and it was almost a it was a case of trial and error because there wasn't a ton of there just wasn't a ton of information out there except for your you know your bass mag not to throw the plug out but you Bassmaster magazine and some fishing shows. Um, 
nothing, nothing, nothing takes place of time on the water. And I remember, I don't know, between the ages of of 12 and 19 years old of how much time I I, I was able and fortunate, you know, that my parents let me do that and, and have that opportunity. Nothing takes the place of time on the water. That's what makes great anglers. Granted, you can you can listen and watch and and learn things, but you have to apply it. You ha- you you have to apply it on the water, and you need to succeed on the water, and you need to fail. And, and you know we we fail a lot more than we succeed on the water. And and the only thing the only thing that can can take the place of that is time on the water. You cannot you cannot watch TV and get on the internet. And, and, and become an awesome angler. You can learn a lot, but you have to be able to apply it instead of just knowing it. And, you know, I'll go back to this. If, 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 if you say you want to be a great angler, like I think it was your uncle, um, get near him. Attach yourself to his Absolutely. Hip. What a mentor. Ser- serious. If, 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 you know, I remember growing up in Michigan, and there was, there was a half dozen guys. Boy, they were just so good when I was – you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, and I was like glue to those guys. They were the Skeet Reese's, and actually Kevin Van Dam was one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Put yourself in that position to learn from those guys and apply it to, to your style of fishing, you know, and what I say is don't mock their style. I mean, I I fish with Kevin a lot, but I obviously, you know, obviously I don't fish like him, um, when you get into styles, um, I've learned enough from him to some way, shape, or form apply it to my fishing. And granted, that's, a, that's obviously like having Tiger Woods as your teacher on a golf course. Um, but if you know a great angler, learn from him, listen to him, and, and you'll become a better angler. And the other side of that, as far as, you know, being, getting a job in the fishing industry, and and I, I remember this was this was a couple weeks ago. One of my kids was fishing, and they're you know they're ten year old twin boys, and he said, uh, he said, Dad, I'm going to fish the Elite Series when I'm older. I said, No, no, actually, you're not. You'll be serious. You're you're going to be a producer for fishing shows, or you're going to you know may, maybe be fortunate enough to 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 do some work. But but I, I turned around and I caught myself, and I said, You know, it's never been my dream. It's never ever ever been my dream to 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 be a full-time touring pro in any way, shape, or form. Um, but if that is my son's dream, I, I'm, you know, I'll let him do that. But, but besides that, you know, the interesting thing is if, if you want to work in the fishing industry, you have to put yourself in, in the position, whether it's going to, to just small in-house boat shows, uh, you know, at a, at a small marina or a, a tackle store, and just really – learning the whole side all the way from sales to to you know promoting products and stuff like that and what's interesting is a lot of people get the the cart ahead of the horse and what i mean by that is the the question i get a lot is how do i get sponsors how do i get sponsors and and uh, it's probably the most asked question i and it's weird that it it's so prevalent in fishing but uh I never answer that question because I always say if, if you spend your time on the water and you put yourself, you know, in the off time of fishing at shows and stuff like that, it's a natural progression that the sponsors end up uh, some, some way, shape, or form, they end up coming. It's a very, very, Aaron, you'd agree with this, it's a very hard business uh, to, 
to make it in, but there, to me, there's nothing better in the world. Absolutely. Very rewarding. And one thing that I would just add, and you probably agree to Garrett, is, you know, just the importance of that education, of, uh, you know, getting in there, applying yourself, because in fishing, you know, those days on the water, like you said, when you're failing and, and it seems like you're not learning anything, those are the days that perseverance and sticking with it, uh, I think those are skills that you pick up through education uh, sure. by staying with it. Yeah, and, and, I'll, and I'll, this is in, that's interesting you bring that up is I, I, live, I live a few miles from the small college that I went to, and, and, and at the time, I, I was like I am now. I was a bass fishing junkie, and I thought to myself, well, heck, I don't need college. I don't need that. Right. And I look back on that now, uh, and it was so critical. And I'm not saying that so a, you know, a young kid could roll and say, oh, come on, he's just saying that because other people say that. It's so untrue, and I'll tell you why it's untrue, at least in my life. I was brutally scared of speaking in public. Um, when I was in college and I took communications classes to get up in, in an auditorium and speak to, Oh heck, I, I don't think Aaron, I don't think there was 20 people in there. And I was absolutely <laughs> mortified to do that because number one, there's the hot chick in the corner and I don't, I don't you know, I, I, and, and, and I would, I would get, I would have such anxiety the week that I knew I had to get up in speech class in college and, and only talk for, maybe two minutes and i look back out on that uh, in on that now and it's it, it's very um uh, it, it's rewarding because that is you know from that I, I you know i had a few good tournaments and i was actually able to put a complete sentence together uh on camera uh, you know in some a few different tournaments and then from there it it, it went here so I, I will i will definitely back you up on the education class because i look back on it now and think Holy cow, I, I couldn't stand in front of 15 people. Absolutely. Well, Garrett, there you go. Unfortunately, we are out of time. we got to get Mark on the water. I hate to be taken away. His, his time is so limited. So, uh, Mark, thanks so much uh, for, for spending your time I, with us. And we look forward. And I'm tell, telling you, Mark, we I promise you, we are going to get uh, together soon and get that show recorded that we talked about I, all the way last year. Totally agree. And, Aaron, seriously, Keep up with what you're doing. The the industry needs people like you, and you're 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 a treasure to fishing. I mean that. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mark. Best of luck, and we'll talk to you soon. See ya. Now you can order Bass Edge seasons one and two on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Hi, I'm Chris Ball, and get ready for some more tips and techniques on Bass Edge, The Edge. Well, that was great. Man, I love to hear Mark talk about bass fishing. Uh, 
you know, of course, most people know uh, Mark from his television work, but, uh, man, the guy is a phenomenal angler. He is. You know, he was sitting actually in the middle of his boat and uh, getting his tackle ready to head to the lake. He doesn't uh, doesn't get a whole lot of opportunity just to go fun fish, but that is something that he was doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, hearing the stories of those 100 50 bass a day up in those northern waters. Of course, you and I got to experience a little bit of that uh, when we went up there and did some filming. But, man, smallmouth and and just being so visual and and being able to see the fish that you're catching, I think... uh, I think adds a whole nother layer to the sport of fishing, and yeah, hey, you know, we we've got so many questions. Why don't Why don't we go ahead and get a couple more of those out of the way before we jump into our next interview? Let's do it. Well, the question next question actually comes from Mike, all the way out on the west side in California, Steve, and um, he wants to know what is the most effective way to fish tules in three to six feet of water. Well, when it comes to tulies, we call we we email our good friend Chris Ball out uh, out there on the Delta, and uh, and he wrote back a, a a great answer. He writes, "Well, Mike, that's a tricky question. So to make things easy, let's assume the water is semi clear and it's pre spawn. I typically will start pitching a double willow." leaf half ounce spinnerbait and white and chartreuse from about 15 yards away from the tulies. I will first target the tulies that make points and then the sparse scattered tulies. If I get no action, then I pick up a flipping stick with a half ounce green pumpkin jig with a gambler green pumpkin little otter trailer. Once again, pitching to high percentage areas such as points and pockets is the way to go. The reason for pitching instead of standard flipping is because I don't want to possibly spook any of these fish. As I'm working the tulies, I will look for any other type of cover within the tulies, such as debris or matted vegetation. If this is the type of if this is the type of cove available, then I will slowly work my way up close and tight with yet another flipping stick rigged with a three quarter ounce tungsten bullet weight and a five aught straight shank hook. My beta choice can vary, but you can't go wrong with a beaver type bait or craw imitation. Make sure you're using at least fifty pound braid, because this is close com- close quarter combat and some possible giants are lurking around and when flipping this type of cover, make sure you're ready on the initial flip to drill that fish on the drop. If nobody wants it on the fall, let it sit for 10 seconds and then slightly shake your bait in place. Many times this will trigger the big guys to hammer your bait. If not, none of this works, then back off again and pitch a Cinco type bait. I can't tell you how many times I've done this as a last resort and had great results. The norm here is 15 mono monofilament and a medium heavy action seven foot rod with a high speed reel. As far as colors, use what you have confidence in. I like black and blue as well as green pumpkin and red flake. Also, never leave home without that snag proof frog. This can be particularly deadly when fish slow. Chris, Chris Ball says he hopes this helps. Well, we appreciate Chris getting back with us on that, and that's great advice, and, and he is the man when it comes to those toolies, so uh, hopefully that'll help. Aaron, our next question is from John in Illinois, and John says he's got a tournament on a river in northern Illinois named, the, and I hope I'm saying this right, the Kankakee River, 
if you know, you can throw that in, Aaron. But uh, <laughs> no, you're yeah, all I know. that. Yeah, can conkey or something. I've heard, actually heard of that. But what is the best way to approach this tournament, given it's my first time fishing there? But what I've heard, it's tough fishing with the water temperature around 50, and the water's pretty dirty. Any help would be great. Well, I'm going to give him some help, and I'm going to elect to phone a friend here on this one on the uh, Kankakee River. I can't say that I've actually ever been there, but you know what? I knew just who to call on this one and uh, reached out to Chad Morgan-Taylor, who actually lives right there in Illinois and actually has a lot of experience on that particular body of water. But, you know, Chad just really stressed the importance of backwater. And, you know, when you get on a river system uh, that time of year with the water temperature in the 50s, bass are no doubt preparing to spawn. And, you know, he, he had just really indicated that locating those staging areas very close to the backwater, um, you know, is going to be the deal because they're either on their way there or they're already in the backwater actually spawning. So finding those backwater areas that have deep water close by uh, is certainly going to aid you in your quest. And then also, um, those areas actually warm faster, and the bass don't have to deal with the current. You know, you want to try and stay away from the main river because bass will typically shy away from current during the spawn and Chad indicated especially largemouth. You know, water clarity, he said, is also extremely important. So make sure that you find those backwaters that are as clear as possible. Even if it's just a little bit clearer, you know, because clear is somewhat of a relative term, but that will ultimately help. As far as baits, you know, he he goes after uh, baits that are going to displace a lot of water and can be worked slowly, uh, like spinner baits or even a big jig with a rattle. Soft plastic baits such as, you know, like a black neon tube or a sinking worm, Cinco-type bait uh, also work well this time of year. But he wanted to stress, don't ever count out the crankbait bite. So, uh, Chad, thanks so much again for uh, bringing me up to speed and also helping our our good friend out, uh, John, there in Illinois. Well, hopefully, John, that'll help. Maybe he'll do good in this tournament. And, John, you be sure and let us know uh, how that went for you. We, We always like to hear hear uh, good fish stories from our from our listeners but uh aaron i think we'll take another break right here and uh we've got yet another treat your interview with mark jones and i'm looking forward to that so let's take a a minute pay a few bills and we'll be right back here on the edge Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Electronics 101. Harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Welcome back, and as Steve and I talked about, we have another Oakley Big Bass Tour report, and that is with none other than Mark Jones. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing good, Aaron. Thanks for having us on today. 
Uh, it's our pleasure, and you know, I, I've got to say, part of the reason is it seems with the upcoming event here uh, in our backyard on Table Rock, our phone lines and emails have been uh, really lit up over the past several days, and and want you to kind of go into not only explaining uh, some of the questions that we've received, but also, you know, there's a lot of strategy that goes into this, and uh, you know, first off, maybe you could just start by kind of setting the stage for what anglers can expect here uh, in in the next few days. Sure. Obviously, uh, this is a big bass. You know, this is a, a, a one fish event. So we have multiple hourly weigh ins during this event on both Saturday and Sunday. There's actually seven on Saturday and seven on Sunday. Um, anglers can catch any of those, obviously, as they have a, a big fish that they think might qualify in a given hour. Uh, they could run that back to the weigh in and we'll, you know, take them through that process. We've got uh, you know, a lot of anglers in the in the, the Missouri area, the Ozark area, have seen these big bass events. But you know, we've always had guys that uh, have not had an opportunity to participate, Aaron. And so, you know, they got some questions about the format and how it works exactly. And uh, I think you and I can answer most of those here today. Absolutely. And you know, I want to jump right to the kind of the the uh, uh, question that always lingers in everybody's mind, and that comes to you know the prizes. I know that. Really, you're giving away a brand new boat, regardless of the field size. Is that correct? Yep, absolutely. We've got a Nitro Z9 uh, 2010 powered with a Mercury outboard. Uh, it's an incredible boat, $43,000 retail value, and that is guaranteed whether we get uh, one angler or 1,000 anglers who ultimately uh, participate in the event. And then our hourly payouts, each hour we pay five places deep. Uh, we have some other prizes and just random giveaways uh, that we do as well throughout the event, but those hourlies will adjust based on our, uh, you know, final overall participation uh, after we get through all of our online registration and obviously the uh, the big registrations there at Bass Pro Shops uh, in Springfield and then in Branson uh, on those Thursday and, and Friday before before the event. Well, and the thing I think that's unique about this type of an event, you could actually come in with you know a two pound fish and find yourself getting a check. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we just left North Carolina, as you and I talked about, a little bit offline, and, uh, you know, uh, two, three, four, five-pound fish, you know, uh, winning guys' money. We had multiple hourly winners with two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-pound fish. It makes it a lot of fun. It really loves playing field for, for, for some of the guys, uh, you know, who might not participate in a stringer event. Uh, maybe that's uh, yeah, just, just not their cup of tea. So, uh, it can challenge the stringer guys absolutely running around that lake trying to find the big fish. But, uh, you know, if you're a weekend angler and uh, you want to come out and experience a tournament format, nothing better than a big bass because uh, it just takes one cast. And uh, if you've got a few minutes left in the event, you can still catch that big fish that ultimately wins that uh, that, that big prize. Well, uh, one question that I did receive a lot of is how many anglers can actually be in the boat? Yeah, well, you can have uh, – as many anglers as your boat can hold, you know, as a as a general rule. But the majority of the people fishing in our events have two to three anglers uh, per boat. Uh, obviously, each person in the boat has to be uh, registered uh, and competing in the event. You can't have spectators in your boat. But uh, your, your typical boat is going to have two to three anglers uh, per boat. Now, each person obviously has to manage uh, their own fish. So if you've got, you know, more than two people, then you've got to, uh, make sure that you're marking and calling and accounting for your fish uh, as needed. And each angler um, at any one point in the tournament can have no more than three fish on them. So if you've got two guys in the boat, you can have six fish total at any one time. And 
as soon as they bring us a fish and weigh in a fish or, uh, you know, two fish over a given hour or what have you, then they can certainly go back out and, and replace those fish. And, Aaron, one thing that's important to mention with these guys, it's just you can only weigh in one fish per hour per angler. Uh, if you got two guys in a boat, you've got to have that fish separated in your own individual bag, and you've got to physically bring that uh, fish to us uh, yourself. So if both partners want to weigh in, they each have to have their fish in a bag. But you can have both partners uh, weigh in in an hour. Well, and with that being said, then, so with you being able to be in possession of, say, these three fish, you could essentially, you know, you've got three hours worth of weigh-in. Is that how I'm understanding that? Yeah, we've got some guys that do that. But, again, that's back to your to your strategy play. You know, if uh, most anglers will not come to a weigh-in until the half-hour point or even later, maybe at the 45 uh, mark of the hour, because you have to hold there. Obviously, if you're in the top five, we keep you there. Uh, if you're bumped out, we let you go. We let you go back to the water. So most of those guys will wait, you know, until the end of the hour so that they're not there for an extended period of time. But if you've got guys that are making long runs there, and, and we know on Table Rock that's, you know, going to be the case to get back to that Toyota Tundra main stage. It's, you know, some of those guys where they're fishing, it's going to be a haul. So you'll see these guys that are smarter with their strategy. They'll come in and weigh in the latter part of an hour. Uh, and then literally turn around uh, and weigh into the next hour and know that they've just got to stay there a while. But that's how they'll maximize their run and, and be efficient with their day. And, and, again, as you and I were talking offline, it's it's all about how efficient you are, uh, you know, getting back in. You know, most anglers are only going to catch two, three, maybe four weigh-ins in a given day, and that's if they're on fish. Well, that, I mean, that's that's what excites me about this type of format because it's totally different, you know, with these hourly weigh-ins, only being able to bring in one fish to the scales. Uh, that type of strategy and that type of information, I think, is important for people to know because, like you said, it's ultimately it's going to put you in the driver's seat when it comes to cashing that check. Now, uh, another question is, I know uh, the event at Table Rock specifically and some of your other events are two-day events, but do the anglers have to sign up for both days? No, they can, uh, yeah, if they've got something going on on one day or the other, and they can only participate on Saturday or only on Sunday, uh, they can do a one-day entry. Uh, they can either do that online. It's $110 for this event for one day uh, or 160 for the two days. So they, they can make their choice. We've got a lot of anglers who uh, may be traveling or coming in and they're just going to catch one day, uh, and that's, that's no problem. Uh, and they can do that in advance, or they could do that at one of the – you know, big registration days there at Bass Pro Shops. And, you know, Mark, that's what's exciting to me is the fact that you can pay a $110 entry fee, have a shot at winning that brand new boat that you described earlier, but also get in on the hourly weigh-ins and you've got a chance to at least earn your entry fee back and have a, you know, a great day of camaraderie with whoever you're fishing with. Absolutely. We have a lot of father-sons, a lot of husbands and wives, you know, a lot, a lot of that uh, going on in our event. And, and like we've said, Aaron, it just takes one cast. So, uh, great format. We're certainly looking forward to having everybody out and uh, couldn't be more proud to be associated with Kevin and, and be putting this event on. Well, and quickly here in, in closing, where can anglers go to register, whether it be online or in person? Sure. Online is easy. That's oakleybigbass.com. Uh, you go to our website. There is a registration tab right there across the top. There's also an event tab about this specific event where they can get all registration information, hotels, uh, learn about our partners, you know, helping out with this event. Uh, that's there on the website. Uh, they can call us uh, at 877-958-8687 uh, and, and get one of our staff members on the phone. They can get them taken care of. 
And then, of course, Aaron, in person, uh, Thursday night, uh, the week of the event, from 5 uh, to 9 p.m., we will be at both Springfield uh, Bass Pro and the Branson Bass Pro. And then the big days will be Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. at Springfield and 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. at Branson, just where these guys are coming from. You know, they can have their choice. Uh, Kevin is slated to be at the Springfield location uh, all day on Friday, so obviously that's where a considerable amount of our traffic uh, will be headed. But we'll final up all of those uh, Kevin-related appearance times and schedules can be followed on our on our website as we get a little closer to the event. Well, and certainly for our listeners who are uh, go to Bass Edge frequently, there is a banner at the top of the homepage of BassEdge.com. Simply click on that, and that'll take you right to uh, the event registration. Mark, it is always a pleasure. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but uh, I've got to say, looking forward to uh, the upcoming event and can't wait to see what uh, Table Rock's going to represent. Absolutely, Aaron. Looking forward to it. We appreciate uh, the coverage, and we'll see you, I guess, in almost a couple of weeks now. See you soon. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Well, Aaron, that's about a wrap for today. Uh, I guess I will see you next week out on the out on the boat, out on the deck of the boat. Uh, maybe we'll have some fish stories for next time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we always have fish stories to tell. And i got to be honest with you, Steve, I'm about worn out. Today was a, a lot of information on the episode. But um, as always, we... We have fun every time here on The Edge. And just a reminder to shop Bass Edge for the upcoming Father's Day. And thanks to all the dads out there for making a difference in the lives mm-hmm. of young people. Steve, thanks for coming along. And also, thank you for listening. For Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. Bass Edge has been brought to you in part by MegaWare Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Super Start Batteries, Mothers, polishes, waxes and cleaners, and legend boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.